Hello, everyone. I welcome you to the First Baptist Church of Westfield Sunday service. If you would, please open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. And um, before we get into what we're going to learn today, um, just as a quick recap, um, this chapter began with Isaiah being told by the Lord to go to King Ahaz, who is the king of Judah. Um, And he is told to tell Ahaz not to worry about Syria and Israel, who are the two enemies of Judah at this time, um, because the truth is, is that their, their kindling has gone out. They are no longer a threat to Ahaz. And so the Lord tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz to have faith, trust in God. Um, and what we learned two weeks ago was that Ahaz decided not to trust in God. And instead he chose to decide to trust in Assyria. Now we're going to find out what happens when Ahaz does this and the repercussions of Ahaz's choice to trust in some sovereign other than God. So verse 18. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. Isaiah now turns to the day in which the Lord will bring about his judgment against Judah for their faithlessness. We notice how God will whistle for the fly from Egypt and the bee from Assyria. This is poetic for God bringing together the armies of Egypt and Assyria. God is going to bring their military forces together in Judah. The military might of these two nations will be vast. As we remember in previous chapters, Isaiah foresaw the devastation to come and how all of Judah would be enveloped. So it is here. There is no safe place left for the people. Whether in the wild places or the cultivated ones, in the end the two nations will be found in very every nook and cranny. That such places are specified also shows the lack of hope for the people. Whereas under normal circumstances the people could find safety within the wilderness areas, in the rocky areas where there are caves and relative safety, even these places will be seen as unviable for safety purposes. Now we come to verse 20. In that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. Not only are we seeing the fact that the people will find no safety or shelter, but we also find the humiliation which comes from the assault. The razor is the king of Assyria and his armies. One of the ways such humiliation occurred for defeated enemies were for their enemies to shave them. That the text describes the head and feet could mean one of two things. The first is that it represents the whole body. Another is that the feet represents the private areas, since oftentimes in the Old Testament, feet are a euphemism for private parts. In either case, we find the whole purpose as the beard itself is shaved, which shows culturally the humiliation which the Assyrians will inflict on the people. It will not be a pleasant experience for the people of Judah. Now we come to verses 21 and 22. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. The repercussions for the assault on Judah will be devastating. That a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep is reflective of the assault where these are all that remain from the herds. 
Whereas one might expect many more animals to be available for the people, in the end there will only be a cow and a sheep for each person. But it isn't only here that the devastation is seen. Because we notice how the text describes having one cow and two sheep of providing an abundance of milk. Indeed, the result will be eating of curds, a result of having more than enough milk. If there is a large herd of cows, then one would expect such a result to occur. Hence, royalty could be eating curds. Meanwhile, honey would also be part of the diet. Some believe that the curds and honey are a good thing. But consider it again from another perspective. Under the circumstances, when one cow is producing enough milk for the making of curds and implies there aren't enough people to have the milk. Thus, one cow is enough because there aren't enough people left who will need more than one cow for produce. Likewise, the honey aspect implies individuals who are living off the land. These individuals are not blessed, but are found to be the leftover remnant, the very few who have literally nothing. So now we come to verses 23 through 25. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns. But they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Previously in Isaiah, we saw how Isaiah mentioned that there was one, um, once, a man, once a man planted a vineyard and expected a good harvest, but instead received wild grapes for his works. Um, the result was that the vineyard would go back to the way it had been prior to the man planting the vineyard. While that story was a parable to describe the people, here we find a horrific result from the assault by the Assyrians. In the end, the cultivated land will become wilderness. A man will be required to come to the old vineyards with bows and arrows for protection. The only thing that would be living there now are wild animals or human human scavengers. Hence, while they had much land that was cultivated for crops, in the end, the only purpose for the land will be for cattle and sheep. For the ancients, such a thing was devastating. The wilderness of nature, the wildness of nature was nothing was nothing something um, which was seen as good, but altogether scary. As such, when humans come into the land in order to suppress the wildness, it was seen as a good thing. It reflects back to Eden with a garden that was well cultivated, whereas the land outside of the garden was seen as wild and uninhabitable. As such, when the land is described as, as it is, it shows the devastating human loss which has occurred. The people have been decimated. The land itself goes back to how it was. And ultimately, all the wonderful blessings which the people had been given are taken away. Why? Because of their faithlessness. Because they would trust in an Assyrian king rather than the king and the Lord of all. The main point of these verses are to show the result of the choices made by Ahaz and the judgment which comes from that choice. The king of Judah has decided to trust in Assyria rather than the Lord of all. As such, the result is judgment which will come upon the people who follow the king. Yet the irony is, the one whom God will use to bring this judgment on the people is none other than the one in whom they place their trust. 
So the historical setting for this chapter in Isaiah is very interesting. Here we have a king of Judah of the lineage of David facing a crisis. It isn't too hard to imagine the fear which Ahaz is experiencing in this moment. Everything looks like it is burning around him with little hope for relief. His enemies, Israel and Syria, are seeking to displace him and take over the kingdom for themselves. In light of this, it isn't surprising at all that Ahaz would be willing to look anywhere for salvation. Neither should it be surprising that his eyes would gaze upon the might of Assyria, the major power at that time. Despite God speaking directly to him and urging him to trust, all Ahaz can see is Assyria being his relief, his salvation, the king of Assyria who will come to rescue him from those who are threatening him. So as we see Ahaz and his human nature come forth, how often is it the case that we are far more willing to turn towards something or someone other than God for our salvation? Indeed, how often is it the case that we would be willing to disregard the help God offers to us and instead trust in something or someone else? Because in our brokenness, it can become easy for the world to sway us, to follow it, Instead of following after God. The world with all of its wiles. With all of its charms. Seeks to get us to follow after it. This can occur in many different ways. Whether it is an outside source. In which we are deceived into trusting. In someone or something other than God. Or even if we are deceived into trusting. In our own might. Our own abilities. Our own intellect. Very often such options are before us. To trust in God in all areas of life or to trust in someone or something else. Every day we experience the struggle between these two options. In all things, these two choices remain in front of us. Do we remain faithful to God in all of our lives, submitting to his word, his spirit? Or do we choose to follow the world? Admittedly, this is only the beginning of it. For every choice we make has repercussions in this world. Some choices we make have minor repercussions. I chose to put on this shirt instead of another. In the grand scheme of things, it is doubtful my choosing what shirt to wear will have many, if any, ramifications. I don't know. Maybe you don't like my shirt. That could also be a possibility. Maybe it's really turning you off to what I'm saying. Maybe that's a bigger ramification than I thought. Maybe not. But when it comes to choosing to live in obedience to God or the world, to have our views changed by God or the world, by trusting in God or the world, then the repercussions are perilous. Consider what we discussed at the beginning of the chapter. As we remember, Ahaz is being confronted with that problem. The king of Israel, the king of Syria, were coming against him. And again, Isaiah is called by God to go to Ahaz, to offer him this choice. Trust in God or trust in something else. We remember the phrase, if you are not firm on faith, you will not be firm at all. God is using Isaiah in order to change Ahaz's understanding and perspective. God is worthy of being followed and trusted. The world is not. Ahaz, as we then find after, decides to not trust in God but instead trust in his own understanding of the situation. 
Hence the prophet's proclamation that the king of Assyria is going to bring utter ruin. Isaiah is proclaiming the reality of the situation. Our choices have repercussions. The choice of Ahaz in trusting in Assyria will bring about a greater devastation than anything that could have come from Israel or Syria. Just as Ahaz's choice had a dire repercussion, so do ours. When we decide to trust in anything other than God, we will only be as strong as that which we put our trust in. We will only be able to go as far as that which we are placing our understanding in is able to go. Ahaz needed a perspective change. And one came through the word of God. But instead of trusting in the word of God, Ahaz chose a different course. And the results were filled with sorrow. In our time today, we are offered many choices again as well. Consider what we discussed a few weeks ago. Currently, there are two main thoughts which are dominant in our society. The first is materialism, naturalism. And the second is postmodernism. For a reminder, materialism and this naturalism is the view that all that exists is physical matter. That means that there is no soul or mind or even free will. Why? Because we are only machines brought about by our genetics and biology. This means that when we have thoughts, it is nothing more than our brains firing off neurons. This also means that whatever choices we think we make are actually just those neurons firing off in our head. Free will is an illusion, nothing more. Because in the end, we will always only do what we are programmed to do in accordance with our genetics and biology. Now on the other side of the aisle, we have this postmodernism. This is an understanding that we can't really know anything outside of ourselves. In other words, the mind exists, but that is all we can be sure of exists. Because we cannot know anything with 100% certainty, we are doomed to simply live in the confines of the reality we create in our minds. Whether or not it is true doesn't really matter. It is true for us. Hence, the reality we set for ourselves becomes on uh, the only truth, even if that reality does not fit with anything outside of ourselves. So here we have these two opposing views, but both are incredibly prevalent in our society. Previously we discussed them, but something we did not do is come to their ultimate conclusions. In other words, what are the repercussions of having these worldviews? What happens when one actually follows them to their ultimate ends? Well, consider the first, materialism, naturalism. If this is true, then all of human existence means nothing. Whether we do good or evil, it has no purpose or value. Indeed, we could even say justice itself doesn't really matter because we could easily conclude that those who do acts of evil do so because it is in their genetic makeup. How can we criminalize or cast judgment on individuals who are only doing what they are programmed to do by this genetic makeup? Indeed, why bother doing good or bad at all? None of it really matters in the end. If all my choices are already predetermined, and if in the end all humanity will result with, with what the universe itself will experience, some heat death or cold death, 
where all the usable energy in the universe is finally used up, leaving nothing but a cold, dead thing, then what does it all matter? It all leads to a dark nihilism in which all of our existence becomes meaningless. Thus it should not surprise us under such a system of thought it can only lead to humans being nothing more than numbers, cattle. We have no purpose, no intrinsic value or worth. Now let's consider postmodernism. How do we create reality? Well, the answer that they give is by placing us in a category or community. Reality is created because of your race, your gender, your age, your economic status, your culture. Ultimately, we become nothing more than the voices of whatever our category or community falls into. You only believe whatever it is that you believe because you're a white male, for example, or because you're an impoverished, impoverished person or because you grew up in a Christian environment. So what happens? Well, it dehumanizes people as much as materialism and naturalism. It means we will never be able to rise above these various categories or communities we find ourselves in. We become nothing more than an instrument for these various platforms. You as a person have no value or intrinsic worth, only the group you belong to. Meanwhile, you live in a completely fragmented reality because all of these different pieces of you don't always agree. And we see how very often when they do disagree, those who are postmodern will not very much side with the physical, but instead will side more with their feelings as being just as true or valid as their physical bodies. So we see how this leads to a broken form of justice and morality and even a broken form of personhood because no morality is any better than any other person's morality. No justice is any better. And personally, you're just a fragmented piece of clothing. In the end, they're all equal. So the community that mutilates a girl's private parts are not considered evil because to that community, it is good to do those things. The same is true of, let's say, Nazism or whatever else we might want to say. Their group has their beliefs and their beliefs are just as valid as ours or anyone else's. There is no overarching morality or even truth. Hence, when we say his truth or her truth, this is all stemming from this postmodern concept of reality. In the end, both of these views fail to properly give credence to the human person or experience. One goes too far toward individualism, so that you only exist in your machine nature and nothing else. And the other goes too far into the community where you personally have no value. Meanwhile, the Christian view of humanity places us in a far better and more honest context. We recognize that we are emotional, rational, spiritual, and physical. We have been created with heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thus, the Christian view allows for us to interact with the physical world just as the materialist claims. But unlike the materialists, we recognize we are not mere machines, but human persons with will and personal identity. Conversely, postmodernism is correct in that we are not just physical machines. We are more. 
We can be influenced by culture and society and even be influencers in them. But unlike postmodernism, we recognize that we can reach and find a full and complete truth for all of time and space. We can find morality and justice because we know God exists and from him comes the overarching narrative of what is good and right for all of time. Likewise, we are human persons with intrinsic value and worth as individuals and yet we find relationship with God and others outside of ourselves as good and glorifying to God. Yet the repercussions of these things are significant. If we were to follow after the materialist naturalists in their worldview, then the repercussions are one of sorrow, for we mean nothing. If we were to follow the postmodern, then the repercussions are much the same. Indeed, we see the repercussions of a postmodern thought every time we turn on the television. For while materialism and naturalism is the known worldview in the sciences, in the arts it is postmodernism. And thus the media's playground is ripe with postmodern ideas. I hope then we see the repercussions of following after even ideas or worldviews other than the worldview given to us in the scriptures by God and how these alternative worldviews lead not to human flourishing or goodness, but instead leads to pain, sorrow, and brokenness. God, however, he reaches down to us in our sinful state where our minds are easily tricked and deceived into believing what is false and he leads us into the truth. He mends the brokenness which comes from our fallen states. Destruction lies ahead for any who are willing to turn toward anything other than God for their salvation or assurance. Whether we turn to embrace the wisdom and strength of the world, it doesn't matter, for both lead to utter destruction. Just as it was with Ahaz and Assyria, so it is with any who turn toward the world rather than God. Our congregation should be warned then by all of this. Because while it is true we can be turned to one side or the other by differing worldviews, the truth is it isn't just philosophically that we need to be cautious. We can be swayed by politics, putting our trust and our hope in political leadership. We can be swayed by pastors or religious leaders, putting our trust and our hope in them in order to save, let's say, the congregation. The truth is, though, our greatest asset our greatest salvation, our greatest strength is not found in any of these things, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Anyone or anything else we put our trust in will only lead to destruction. It's not going to be found in the leadership which looks to self. It will only be found in those who look to God and seek faithfulness to him and recognize his faithfulness to us in this life. We've seen the repercussions of all of these things. And that is destruction. But the repercussions for following after God is peace. It is wisdom. It is finding knowledge. It is knowing there is endless love, grace, and mercy. It leads to justice and morality. It leads to all that we could possibly desire. Truth which spreads over all we are for all of time. It leads to eternal life 
instead of eternal death. Is there any reason not to trust in God? I can find none. That, then, is the greatest possible encouragement I can give. Do not seek the world. Seek God. Do not trust in the world. Trust in God. Do not despise the word of the Lord. Cling to it. Trust in it. Abide by it. Indeed, the very word of the Lord made flesh. Abide in him as he abides in you. He is the source of all truth. The only source of goodness. Anything else will lead to despair, darkness, and misery. We know the repercussions. Destruction or life. Let us follow gladly the way of life, now and forever. Naturally, this all leads us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm already laughing in my head because Carissa just counted with her clicker that that's what I say. But naturally it does. How can we not see the gospel in this passage? You know, the gospel begins with God in his glory. How he is the first cause. Created all that we see and all that we experience. He created reality itself. The cosmos and all that's within it. Then he created humans to bear his image. And because we are made in his image, we have sanctity, dignity, and worth to life. And we rejoice. Because he made us to be able to experience this vast world that he's created. And we can be movers and shakers within that world. And it's a wonderful thing. That he has made all that we see and all that we experience. And how great is the tragedy then of, let's say, Ahaz, of ourselves? That instead of trusting in God, we would trust in our own might. And instead of trusting in the wisdom of the Lord, that we would trust in our own wisdom. How foolish of us. Because of sin, our brokenness runs deep. Because of sin, we are willingly led into darkness, into destruction, into death. Sin manages to take our minds and distort all that we see. As C.S. Lewis once wrote in his space trilogy, I love the phrase when he says that we are bent. We are bent creatures. We don't go the direction we're supposed to go. And because of this, we are guilty. Because of our sin, we are guilty of all the judgment that God has in store for us because we deserve it. Because God will not be mocked. So the question is, how can we be redeemed from this judgment? How can we be redeemed from sin? And the answer is found in Jesus Christ. Because he who came, lived, died, rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. Through him we find our redemption. Through him we find the truth of all life, of all reality. 
Because God exists and he has spoken and his word itself has been made flesh, we can attain which was unattainable, eternal life. We can attain justice and morality. We can know God. Is there anything greater than that? Thanks be to God for the redemption found in Jesus Christ because through him, everything makes sense. Through him, the whole world fits together. He is the missing piece. And he's come. And he's redeemed. And he's given us his spirit if we have faith in him. So that way we can walk as he walked, live as he lived, glorifying God with every step that we take. If we should have faith. It's not our righteousness that saves. It's Christ that saves. And there are repercussions. Because if we follow anything other than Jesus. We will face destruction. But if we follow. Jesus all the days of our lives. If we place our faith in him. Then we know glory. And even if this life should cause us to trip over stones and sticks as we walk down it. In the end, we know that he who overcame the world will overcome in us. So that this world, I mean, it's just a small thing in the grand scheme of eternity. And that's what he offers us. Eternity upon eternity of glory. Of eternal life. My hope today is that you would have heard and understood that our choices in this life do matter and that the repercussions of those choices are real in the world. Don't be fooled. Don't be swayed by the world. Turn to God. Trust in his word. Lean on him. Now and always. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the prophet Isaiah, through whom you prophesied and gave this word to Ahaz that we might learn as well. That we would see that there are devastating consequences to our choices. But that we would also see that there can be good things that come from our choices. And we can rejoice in the fact that your son, Jesus Christ, he followed you. And look what happened. Redemption. So Lord, we ask that you, you would give us the strength and the faith to continue forward. We ask that you would be with us as we continue on this road of faith. And that we would seek only to honor and to glorify you. Giving ourselves all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Making them all captive to you and your glory. We thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I thank you all for watching and I pray that you have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless everyone. See you later.